Hi, I'm Hannah. Hi, I'm Rochelle, and this is Box Box F1 Pod. And today we're going to be doing our pre-French Grand Prix episode by talking about French things slightly related to F1. We will not be recapping a dramatic race because we decided to spice things up a bit. Um, but before we um, get to that, it's time for our digital roundup. <laughs> so first for F1 news, and um, speaking of the French, Esteban Ocon just signed a three-year extension with Alpine, which is about as French as you can get in one um, announcement. Uh, good for him, I guess. I don't think about him a lot, do you? Nope, I've mm. never really noticed him this whole season. And then, also, Roman Grosjean apparently is in quarantine and cannot make his Mercedes test drive, which has now been moved for the second time. This is either all a coincidence or Toto Wolf has seriously reconsidered his generosity. Okay. Okay. <laughs> in other news about us, at first, I was upset by the hate we were getting on TikTok. Now I fully processed it and don't care. <laughs> I am also there. So we got we got a lot. We learned a lot of lessons from TikTok. All of the TikTokers are very kind um, to educate us. First lesson, I guess, is that Ferrari is iconic. We can't forget that. Even though engineers seem to always be in a daze when it comes to a Grand Prix. And even though Mattia, who we learned is, was Michael Schumacher's head engineer, has been an extremely questionable team principal, you don't mention those things because Ferrari is iconic. And then, okay, basically we put up a video of the clip we were talking about in our last episode where Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock, got into a McLaren. And it was funny because he's massive and a McLaren's small. But, and we were talking about the Hobbs and Shaw movie. But Where he's there, actually getting into a McLaren. Yes, but the problem was, I was looking for images of that movie clip, and it doesn't exist on the internet. So then there is a picture of The Rock getting into a Pagani, which, for this purpose, to illustrate a large man in a small car, we were like, that should suffice. It did not. After that, just imagine for 72 hours straight, every one of those 72 hours being told, it's a Pagani. It's a fucking Pagani. It was relentless. Yes, they were, were like, just being, is... it, it felt like a Pagani kept hitting us every time. And they're like, these women know nothing. <laughs> Idiots, why would women make a podcast when they don't know what they're talking about? They're but a disgrace. Rochelle replied to the first commenter who pointed that out and explained that, you know, we were talking about Hobbs and Shaw where it was really a McLaren, but we had to use this image. And there was a girl who read our comment and then proceeded to respond to about half of the comments, which by that time were about 30 of them. And she said, read the comment. <laughs> uh, we love the feminism yes she said f1 girls have to stick together and we could not agree more this so shout out to that chick <laughs> yes this is the solidarity i need in my life but we would like to make a shirt to memorialize our first tiktok 
disaster and we want a shirt that says it's a pagani let us know if you would purchase it (laughs) okay because it's funny anyway speaking of shirts (laughs) all right so it's been a big big week for f1 fashion um week ferrari launched ferrari style and they had a whole fashion show with supermodels and Charles and Carlos in the audience. <laughs> but other than that, it was fashion icons. Um, but we watched it, and it was very cool. Um, but it really, to us, reminded us of the other fashion brand in the Formula One world and how wildly different they are. Um, we are, of course, talking about Alphatari. Both have very futuristic vibes. Uh, Ferrari called themselves Speed Couture. We would call AlphaTauri post-apocalyptic couture. Yeah. Though both have kind of creepy future vibes. Go ahead. I was going to say you sent <laughs> the picture of the horse stud oh that was like God. embedded in the ear. And you were like, this is the point in the um, like futuristic novel where we find out we're all being controlled by horses. Yes. Okay, so... Basically, imagine yourself in Westworld, but not in the cowboy one, in the one where they're all robots and super futuristic robots acting like humans. This is the type of clothes that they would wear, like very monochromatic. Wait, are you talking about Alphatari? Well, so they would, the rich would wear Ferrari, the Mm -hmm. poor would wear Alphatari. Wow, okay. Because, I mean, Ferrari does have more um, color, vibes, horse ears. There's horses on everything. There's a golden horse on a necklace. I mean, that screams royalty. It reminds, this is a much less intellectual comparison than the Westworld one, but it reminds me of the Capitol and the Hunger Games where they were all super flashy. Yeah. But then when you you go to all the other... Yeah. States or whatever, they're all wearing Alphatari. Because, okay, this is the thing. Like, Ferrari's, like, royalty, like, high-class. Alphatari, as we were saying before, is, like, what a dictator would make his minions wear. Yeah, when you're trying to cancel out individualism. Exactly. So, as most people in F1 know, Alphatari is, like, the Red Bull junior team. But if you didn't know... You can just go to their AlphaTauri website and the copy will tell you everything you need to know about why it's named AlphaTauri. Before you even get to the copy, the first sentence is that they are an independent brand of anything else. Literally, they're dependent. Yes. After which, the first sentence, do you want to read it? Yes. The brand is named in honor of the Alpha Tari star, the brightest, most radiant, and energy-rich star in the constellation of Taurus, parentheses, the bull. It refers to the energy that inspires the brand Alpha Tari, and the star's placement directly in the bull's eye aligns with the brand's focus on precision and perfection. Alpha nods to being a leader, and the name AlphaTauri pays tribute to its Red Bull heritage. Yup. And then it says, reflecting your far infrared rays back into the body. Not, Not sure, sure what is doing that. 
yeah so take a look at their website and instagram unfortunately they made the f1 drivers um model so there's a lot of pierre gasly and yuki and even max i i personally am quite offended when i see pierre gasly in alfatari clothes because i think he's really cool and it's just being muffled Oh, I'm more offended on Yuki's behalf because he, I think, has a dazzling personality that he, he needs to express. I hope he gets a sweatshirt that just says fuck. <laughs> we that can would... mail him one. Yeah. Um, yes, I agree. And um, they would definitely be the heroes of our YA post-apocalyptic novel. They would yeah. free society from the shackles. They would bring individualism back. I guess we will now move on to the French Grand Prix. Um, and today we're focusing on the circuit, which is named the Paul Ricard circuit. Uh, the French Grand Prix has a long history. It's over 100 years old. It's the birthplace of the Grand Prix. 1906 is when the first Grand Prix was held and it was in France. They used 16 different circuits in F1 before they settled on the Paul Ricard circuit. And it was, um, in the most recent history, it was used between 1970 and 1991. But there was a lot of drama, some deaths. It's a very windy place. There's a really long straight, so it makes you go really, really fast. And it's not the safest. So someone died during a test drive. And it returned back in 2018, 25 years later. Um, they made it a little shorter so that speed wasn't as much of an issue. That's pretty much the whole... Uh, well, I guess also it was the breeding ground for a lot of French drivers in the 60s and 70s. It was funded by ELF, which is a French fuel company, which has so much drama associated, so much scandal associated with it. They were investigated for conspiracy and fraud. Um, and it was very deep-rooted, but um, they sponsored a lot of French drivers, and they sponsored a lot of uh, Formula One teams, so they have a long history um, in Formula One, and they used Paul Ricard to breed French drivers, and they had a school there to help um, drivers move up to Formula One. And that's about it. Now I think Hannah will tell us a bit about Paul Ricard. Ricard was born in Marseille in southern France to a family of wine merchants and he had an early passion for painting but his father made him join the family wine business. He wanted to be an artist and he was forced to make alcohol instead so my presumption is that that made him wander around the streets of Marseille. And he ran into an old shepherd who um, introduced him to an alcoholic beverage named pastis, which is an anise-flavored liqueur, an aperitif. Unfortunately, the anise seed spice was banned in France because, during the First World War because it undermined the French war effort. I did find that alcohol above 16 degrees was banned in France, which I guess makes sense because... I don't know, clear head, fighting spirit. Whew. Anyway, um, so he was so taken by Anise, which might be a sign of alcoholism, <laughs> he, um, he sat in his bedroom forever trying to refine a better version of, um, of pastis. And he used, he experimented with different spices. He used Anise, fennel seeds, licorice, provincial herbs. It almost sounds like mulled wine. Yeah, but, you know, this makes sense because he is in a family wine business. Yeah, so he just combines stuff. Anyway, he came up... He, 
he found what was in the family closet <laughs> and just threw it in. <laughs> That's probably what happened. Um, anyway, so he ended up uh, concocting a precise pastis recipe, um, but it has never been disclosed to the public and remains a secret to this day. Even though pastis was banned during the First World War, Ricard still sold pastis illegally and branded it as the most authentic pastis of Marseille. And he named the company after himself in 1939, and he sold 2.4 million liters of his pastis at the time. Ricard was known for saying that the, um, that the ban was the, his biggest source of inspiration and creativity, and that's where a lot of his marketing schemes and stuff came out. And so during the Second World War, when it was banned again, because it was contrary to the values of France which again makes a lot of sense. He decided to put it to the side and experimented with rice farming. He sounds very much like like you know one of those people who do entrepreneurs that do a bunch of startups. He just does like a whole bunch of crap. So he 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 was a rice farmer and using his distiller skills, he made petrol out of plums and cherries. Yep, he did. Don't ask me how. Talk about innovative. And it fueled the French resistance. Go, Ricard. Wow. I can't believe the French were fueled by plums and cherries. <laughs> but I also can believe that. Oh my god. Uh, okay. The French were fueled by plums and cherries. Yes, they were. And they won. <laughs> kind of. Uh, he is the unsung hero of World War Two. Paul Ricard is the Paul Revere of France. Although, isn't Paul Revere? The plums are coming. The plums are coming. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> okay, so basically, after World War II ended, Ricard resumed his pastis business at last, and he hired some people, and he actually became the Minister of Interior for some reason. He what? Again, he's a startup in and of himself. <laughs> <laughs> um... Wait, sorry, I'm, I'm looking at a different article and I really just want to read this one paragraph. Yes, do okay. it. <laughs> this is the mood in which the Maison du Pastis was conceived. It was the first place dedicated to the diffusion of all these jewels of drinks, very simple or extremely complex, whose selection will depend on their quality. All differences of taste will be respected. From the fan of the siesta and the pétanec, which is a French bowling game, to the expert on great wine and gourmet food. Viva le pastis. And I am very sold. I need to get my own pastis by Ricard. Um, agree. Pastis by Ricard. <laughs> Designer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, the French government kept interfering with his business. And so he got over it and stopped running it daily in 1968, although it still existed, but under the stewardship of his son, Patrick. And then the company merged with their rival, Pernod, in 1975, and then became known as the Pernod Ricard Company. And by the 1990s, Ricard was the most widely sold French alcoholic drink in 140 countries. And at the time of Ricard's death, Pernod Ricard was the third largest global spirits company. 
think that when they say alcoholic drink, they mean like hard liquor. Yeah, it's not wine. wine. Yeah, it's not wine. So another element, we've talked about how multi-layered Ricard is. Um, And if we look back to the beginning, to his roots, he was an artist. And that really translated into the branding of Pastis. He drew inspiration from his home city of Marseille and got blue and yellow in there. He used that as the logo and he distributed everywhere. It was known... Blue and that blue and yellow logo was known everywhere as Pastis. And um, his first venture into marketing, we could say, was in 1948 when he became the first commercial sponsor for the Tour de France. Um, he covered pickup trucks with the Ricard colors, which were blue and yellow, in case you forgot, sun and sky. And um, he did free music concerts along the road, which I think is quite clever. And then he built the circuit. Paul Ricard, which is almost as complex as the man himself. So he built this track um, along with some racetrack building experts. <laughs> and they finished around 1970 when the first Formula One race was held there. Um, it's near a little town called Le Castellet, Castellet, Castellet sorry, in um, the south of France. And it hosted 20 years of F1 Grand Prix until 1990. When someone died, I actually don't know if that's what cut it off, but it was around that time. Someone died during testing, and then they've returned in 2018, then 2019, and then COVID. And now here we are, commemorating Paul Ricard and his legacy. Before we move on, though, from Paul Ricard, I just read another thing about him. In his later life, he wrote an autobiography, produced the first French-colored film. He also established an exposition of wines and spirits and com- to to create a complete and permanent encyclopedia of all wines and spirits and then he also created the museum of ricard advertising objects on an island he bought two islands yes he developed two mediterranean islands he also was an exceptional environmentalist and in his retirement he was able to paint finally his father's I dead he finally <laughs> Yeah, anyway, cool guy. For any longtime listeners of a month, um, you might remember that Surreal is our favorite character in the F1 world. Um, And we were devastated when he left. He disappeared completely off the face of the planet for like six months. No one knew where he was. And we had a lot of hypotheses about where he could be and what he could be doing. Um... But recently, he came back. Uh, he came back into the public spotlight, and he, um, when he announced that he's the new motorsport advisor for Mecca Chrome. And as a little background on Surreal, he rose through the ranks of Renault. So he started as like a baby little engineer that didn't matter, and became the head of Renault, the team principal. Unfortunately, then he got fired. This was all leading up to our favorite segment that we've done once which is where in the world is Surreal adapted to be where in the world was Surreal, because now we know where he is. And it's just us speculating on what Surreal's up to. I speculate that his favorite artist of all time is Olivia Rodrigo, because she has Surreal vibes. She's <gasps> stewing over a heartbreaking breakup, and we think that Surreal, before he had to go to work and he was on a little hiatus, 
he was probably driving in his car in Perth, Australia, past Daniel Ricardo's home, playing driver's license. On full blast. Yes, and crying, of course. Of course. Listen to the song, guys, because I've never heard anything to, that encapsulates all of Cyril's unspoken feelings more for losing Daniel as a partner in Formula One. I also think he would like um, Olivia Rodrigo's song, Good For You, because it's all about how the partner who broke, who dumped them really moved on quick and seems happy. But does Daniel seem happy? No, but better than Cyril in some respects. That is, that is true. He's probably getting paid more, but he seems pretty grumpy. I feel like there are some other songs where you thought you were tragically slighted and then it turns out your ex is doing not as great as you thought i'm sure she has one of those i'm sure she has when we were making so in case you didn't see we made a um an instagram post pairing taylor swift songs to each formula one team and when we're going through taylor swift's discography and almost every single song seemed to relate to surreal's emotional state oh yeah do we have that list we started one if you guys want to see a surreal-based playlist. Let us Let know. Us know. <laughs> but and we yeah, do that. Like, I remember we started with the love story, of course, because he did have, like, a little love story moment with Daniel because they were doing fine. <laughs> um, but then it was... It he got loved dark. him. He loved him. And then Bad Blood. That seems yes. applicable. Bad blood because of the bad breakup. And, um, <laughs> okay, wait. Before we get into the breakup, it was so love story, and then you belong with me, mm. and teardrops on my guitar. I yes. guess that's when the breakup started, and then it became bad blood when Daniel straight up was like, I'm going to McLaren. <laughs> there, was, there was that one. What I love about Surreal is that he wears every single emotion on his sleeve. Yeah. Um, and there's that one scene in Drag to Survive where Daniel walks by the Red Bull paddocks and Christian Horner shouts out to him, is Cyril speaking to you yet? <laughs> and Daniel was like, almost or something. Aww. And I just think it's so sad because Christian really loves like stomping on Cyril's heart. Because it's so easy. It is so easy. Basically, so Christian, there's no hill he won't die on, and there's no heart he won't stomp on. No. Um, especially, so I think he takes particular joy stomping on Cyril's yeah, heart. Yeah, because of the engine. Fight. Yeah. It's almost, his heart is almost as easy to break as the Renault engine. Do you think Gunther and Cyril hang out? No, because Gunther would dropkick his heart <laughs> to another continent. <laughs> I mean, Gunther is the most, like, brutally honest person. No, he's not. He couldn't fire half his team because he didn't want to hurt their feelings. No, he said in an interview, I don't want to fire my team. And then he did. (laughs) That's true, he did. He definitely can fire people. Um, maybe he fired Cyril, and that's why Cyril disappeared, because the emotional trauma was Imagine being the team principal of Renault, and then the team principal of Haas comes to fire you. Uh, no, the French prestige couldn't handle that sort of 
North Carolina charm. <laughs> yeah, Gunther's a North Carolina charm. He's perplexing. Yes, he is. But um, as to what we think Cyril's doing, last time we talked about him getting a tattoo of the badger, of the honey badger, or running away from his commitment to that. Um, what do you think... <laughs> Cyril's been doing this entire time. Message us, comment, email us, and we'll compile the list in the next episode, if there is a list. Um, anyway, we love Cyril a lot. He's our favorite. We're so glad he's back. I don't okay. know what to say. All right, well, um, on Sunday, it's the French Grand Prix. We will be racing at the Paul Ricard. And you know how much more you will appreciate this race now that you know the man the, behind it? He's the father of pastis of Marseille. We cooked French food. Uh, Han already made it. Yes, it's, I made was. pot tofu. Um, I'm going to make gougères, which are French cheese pastry things. And I'll be making it with a real French man. Wow. I know. So they will be so authentic. So anyway, um, see you guys on Sunday. Box, box. Box, box.